Our guest tonight coming live from Seattle, USA. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here through my guests, through their industry insights and information or simply learning from them. And today we have got Carol Sanford, CEO, Carol Sanford Institute. Uh, and we'll be talking about the essence of business. Ma'am, welcome to the show. Thank you, AJ. Delighted to be here. Thank you very much, ma'am, for your time. You know, long back, I was, I saw a movie called Sleepless in Seattle. Yes. But yes, yes, that was a great movie. But it this is. time, this, this time it was me, Sleepless in New Delhi. And, <laughs> and if you ask me why, the reason is I, I was sleepless thinking about what sort of questions should I ask a, you know, tall personality like yours with so much of experience. So I've been thinking about questions so as to take as much the best out of you, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> and, and that is what I'm going to do. So we'll be, I, to, to give it a start, I'll ask you about, you know, the essence of business and what exactly is responsible entrepreneurship. So, All right. once again, welcome to the show, ma'am. So, what is the essence of business as you see it, as you have seen it all through and responsible entrepreneurship? When I talk about essence of business, I don't mean essence of business as a subject, but every business has an essence. Everything alive has an essence. So, New Delhi is very different from Mumbai. And yes. India is very different from the States. And your company is very different than mine. And what I'm talking about is <clears throat> most people think of it kind of in a muddle. Like I'm in business and a lot of people in business and they don't understand who they are and what they bring to the game that differentiates them and makes the kind of difference only they can make. Now, why does that matter? That's not just a um, clever thing. Uh, so let's take an example. DuPont Corporation originally, uh, what the DuPont who founded it 200 years ago was from France. <clears throat> when he came to the States, he was coming from having been a munitions expert for the last king of France during the revolution which meant he could blow up things. And he was so good at it, he managed to blow up who he wanted to, what he wanted to, and he didn't make mistakes. <clears throat> when he came to the U.S., he uh, was escaping with his life because obviously the, the French Revolution was taking down the king. But he had to survive here in the States, where in Rhode Island, where he landed. <clears throat> he said... Um, well, what is it that I do that is amazing and is able to bring something really unique to a business I could found? So I did this work with DuPont years after, you know, long after he was dead. And we realized what he was amazing at was managing risk. So I mean, I'm not a big fan of munitions and blowing up things, but that's the story we're in. So what he was good at uniquely from other people was managing risk. And we realized that 210 years of DuPont uh, 
they had had an up and down story about actually managing risk. Sometimes they were creating them. Other times they were managing them. And as we looked at that story of the essence of DuPont, what we saw was they could stop doing some things they were doing because they weren't related to that, which meant it didn't fit with who they were. Then I can go to something like Seventh Generation, a small company, where we went and did a, what I call Essence Reveal. And in that case, the Essence had to do with transparency and also calling people out when they said one thing and did another. Uh, Jeffrey called it systemic dissonance. So there's a dissonance between what they say and what we see them doing. He built a whole company around calling people out on what they did with his product, with his services, with and we built a per, making um, new kinds of products for parents that were safer for kids, people who had uh, sensitivities to chemicals. So AJ, the real reason this subject, the business uh, essence matters is you become truly differentiated. You can become innovative on a field you can own and become what I call non-displaceable. So every company, the hundreds I work with around the world over the years, the first place we start is an essence reveal. And that becomes the wraparound for strategy, what businesses get sold, merged, divested, DuPont sold tons of businesses. They built new lines. They bought and merged. And so did Seventh Generation. So hopefully that gives you a flavor for at least the first half of your question. What do you think of that? Uh, perfectly all right. Perfectly all right. But I would have more of it once you, uh, what you call, uh, complete it. Uh, complete the second half, if you feel like. Sure. Uh, well, they're very different subjects. So let me make a transition here. Yes. Uh, entrepreneurship is not about only small businesses. It's about a spirit, a way of seeing the world. And entrepreneurship can happen in schools. It can happen in companies. It can happen in families. It can't can even, although we rarely see it, happen in governing uh, nations and so forth. So entrepreneurship is the ability to, for me to see to the heart of something, see the essence of something, say what's really needed. So there's the essence of business, but there's also the essence of materials. So okay. let me give you an example. And then the entrepreneur sees something that material could become that it isn't right now. Like in DuPont, we worked with um, titanium. Well, let's see, let's take sodium cyanide. <clears throat> sodium cyanide is a, a chemical that mixes with other things as an extractive force. And it's used particularly in gold mining where you can put it there, things bind to it. So the, the essence of sodium cyanide is binding and it can go pull gold out of a rock uh, and many other things. Well, when we realized that was really the essence and that most sodium cyanide was being used uh, on making gold uh, adornment. 
and what they had thought they were doing was really working on health. And so they built a set of products that the essence of sodium cyanide binding could be used safely in a human body to extract toxins and okay. to extract them out of water filling. Now, that's pretty exciting to go from yes. only dressing people up to really having understood the essence of a, a material and being able to create a whole new line. Now, what makes it responsible entrepreneurship in this case is that responsible means it is healthy for every stakeholder, every entity involved. It's not good for the business and bad for earth. It's not good for a bottom line and bad for society. And it doesn't take certain groups and isolate them. It looks and says, is this good for everyone? So you want entrepreneurs who can see the essence of materials and the essence of a place. Uh, like if we sometimes do a story of place, what, what, is the, what is Mumbai or what is Pondicherry? You know, what, what is the story of those places that you then can innovate and bring forward? Entrepreneurs can build whole businesses around understanding the essence of a region or a city or a life shed. So we're now bringing these together. It's really about essence thinking. So there's essence of a, a, a business and its founding. There's essence of material. There's essence of a place. And a responsible entrepreneur feels responsible for all of that, all of those stakeholders doing well. How are we doing so, now? Right, right. We are doing perfectly all right, ma'am. And you seem to know a lot about India and it, and several of its cities, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. I have yes. A, a great fondness for uh, uh, Pondicherry. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, an, it's a nice place, though. I haven't visited myself, but... It's a nice place. I do hope to do as soon as these corona relaxations go, uh, you know, cor corona relaxations come into place uh, in a wider, wider level. So, ma'am, coming down back to, you know, essence of business, uh, and you said, and, and responsible entrepreneurship, you said it has to be pro-earth, pro-sustainability, and, and it should make sense. <clears throat> Am I right? I don't use the word sustainable ever, so I'm sure I didn't say oh, that. Yes, yes, I, not, I, not sustainable, but I, I, I'm just inferring out of it. Is that yeah. what? Yeah. No, no. What, so, how, how, yeah, how does it become uh, what you call pro society as well as uh, business, pro business as uh, at the same time? So, it's all stakeholders, everything okay. that's touched. All the people in a city, all the people in families, the uh, biological, geological, hydrological processes. So if you learn to understand how earth works and how society works, now you can be making decisions that foster that evolving and becoming what it can be. The reason I don't use the word sustainable is it's a fragment. It's always fragmented. And essence means learning to see the whole of some, the whole of a, a city, the whole of a family, the whole of a child. If I work, let's take the term sustainable and apply it to a child, and you can kind of see how silly it is. <clears throat> so 
I have the choice of thinking, what's the essence of this child? My child, my in my case, grandchildren. I have a granddaughter. The essence of Sylvia is artistic design. It's just okay. pervades her. She can't not design. But if you were to look at her as a fragmented being, you would see she's anxious sometimes. Very worried. And so if I go work on her anxiety and I try and be sustainable with that one thing so she can overcome it, I will not make her a whole child. If I instead say I'm working with the whole of Sylvia, this artistic designer, now I'm looking for ways to get her involved with her birthday, with design things, with courses she might take. She's 11 years old almost. So when we work with something as a whole, we don't divide it up and try and fix the broken parts. Sustainability always works on less harm. Doing less harm, arresting disorder, stopping entropy, using less plastic. Now, all that's fine, but to me, it doesn't meet the definition of responsible. So responsible means I learn to see how things work when they're alive, not when they're on lists of the top priorities and best practices, which are all fragments. That's irresponsible. And the reason sustainability lists and best practices are irresponsible is because they're always based on finding a problem, which is always a fragment, and they work on it. They don't start with the whole. So my institute is all about research and teaching people to see holes of children, of cities, of materials, of biota, and it's working, and we're trying to contribute. And that's a different mind than where its problem is. So I catch people all the time because they assume I'm talking about doing the less harm, being sustainable. Uh, and I, I never, ever was in that world because I knew from the first time I heard people talking about sustainable, it was a broken view of how you get things to work. Am I making any sense yet or should I do another yes, example? Yes, perfect, perfectly all right. Perfectly all right, ma'am. Uh, tell me one thing. If one has to be uh, going for responsible entrepreneurship, then uh, is it responsibility towards self in terms of creating maximum profit? Is it towards towards finding a solution that people may have? Or yeah. is it towards, you know, sustainability, uh, your, uh, responsibility just towards stakeholders if it's a larger corporation? How does an entrepreneur balance that? So I don't believe in any of those things you said. You said, is it this? It's a, no, it's none of those things. It is whole system. So I believe there are paradigms that we work through. And the one you started with is what I call the extract value paradigm. I go get mine. It's all about me. But all of us have some of that. We need to make a living. We need to have a fair trade for what we do. The question is whether or not we're able to do that from the next paradigm up in the next one, the next one. Let me give you all four. And then I'll tell you why your options are not good options. Um, after extract value, the next one is arrest disorder, which is what sustainability is. You also talked about problem solutions. I think that's a terrible paradigm. It makes it fragmented and we, if we look at our child and we say, what's my child's problems? And we work on those. 
we fragmented them and we're now uh, tearing apart little pieces. The next one up is do good so as a paradigm. So the do good paradigm <clears throat> is when we try and give our child something great. So we go to more ball games or cricket games or uh, something with them. And now we're a bit more whole. We've gotten away from their problems and we're saying what we could do together. But what responsible really is, is when we see the essence of that child and we say, how do I, like I did with Sylvia, how do you help where she's going and how do you help her? So here's the two things you have to link together at the top paradigm. You have to link together her growth and development and the system she's in. So uh, you want to look at where she's trying to contribute. Where And, well, let's go back to a corporate example. Seventh generation can't be right. responsible just by <clears throat> trying to have good raw materials and not doing damage to the earth. And they can't do enough at a rest disorder where they just try and have less toxic. And they can't really be responsible, which is doing good, giving away money, uh, trying to, because a lot of do good is projection of one being on another. I mean, that's what colonization is, where I project my good onto you. Until seventh generation understood that with natural parents, uh, parents who were trying to raise children in a whole and systemic way, <clears throat> They didn't really in, invent a system that changed things for everyone. And what that meant was they worked with Babies Are Us. They worked with Whole Foods. Those are big uh, stores in the U.S. They're like, um, well, I don't even remember the name of the store. Sorry, in India, I, don't, I thought I could pull this back, but I'm not. All right. If I, if we, if, when they decided to build a system for parents to understand their impact on the world, on earth, and that all of what they were seeing with tracking things into the house was making their kids sick. It was also making the planet sick. So they could build a system mind that could see those connections. They couldn't really do anything creative. They were back at your three offerings. They could extract value and get people to stop, or they could do some sustainable and stakeholders. You said that like it was only of a company. Stakeholders means everything, everyone who has a stake, a stake in it. Uh, <clears throat> and my first book, The Responsible Business, was how to build that whole ecosystem that pulled all stakeholders in as a team, working to make something work for all of them where everyone benefited, but everyone contributed. So you have to go from a list like you gave me to a system mind that looks at what I call systems actualization, making okay. the system as a whole work. So none of the above in answer to your question of which of those three. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's okay. The whole I know. I'm having good. fun with you, AJ. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm just <laughs> trying to understand from, from an Indian perspective, a lot of businesses, when they decide, generally everybody tends to tell them that it has to be for the greater good. Now, a lot of people believe in it. And then there is a struggle which happens as you go along. 
then there is a pressure of you know people who have invested money in your business right even you get to also make your own living even if you are sure. if you are a very small business you got employees to take care of right you know and then if you make real profit and start you know scaling up then there is this uh, there there are competitors also who will be you know uh, trying to take your position so how do you manage all the things together and that is yeah. why i was trying to understand uh, you know through your knowledge because see ma'am you have worked with great businesses great leaders uh, such as you know google dupont intel png seven generation all these people so obviously they have achieved something <clears throat> very very big for as right. of today and when right. you talk to them the big thing that i wanted to understand through you was that how do they chart their way forward okay they, i'm going to i'm going to yes. i'm going to tell you <clears throat> first you can't enter that question on podcast what foundationally what i do is run an education institution i'm not a consultant i never give people a plan of how to do it i educate okay. them starting with what's their essence because that's the only way you could stay not displaceable when competitors come in it's the only way you can innovate for customers uh and have the and it's the only way you can determine what materials you should use and how you're going to use them because you have to start with who you deeply are most companies start with competitive assessments or sustainability strategies and they're dead already if you don't start with the essence of your business which less than 1% of the business on the planet do and they work with me and my institute of people who are in it you can't deal with anything she said in my businesses in, so here's for your investors every business i work with and give you examples of make from 35 to 65% increase per annum in their revenue and they sustain that for at least the first 5 years and then maybe margins if they don't innovate again margins will get smaller but if they start with essence that's the real key and they learn to understand and and reveal who they are and build on that like i said with dupont when they got managing risk they finally got out of the hole they had been in now <clears throat> the big challenge is in big corporation there's turnover at the top and so chad holiday who wrote the forward to that book the responsible business um yes. he led all of the things i'm talking about with you and we educated people on systems thinking how to think in a more whole way cuz otherwise they fall into the pit of the list of problems you just said you don't have anything to anchor to to come back which is what is our essence now when he retired and went to chair bank of america he took this work with him but not for long and they went to chair another board of shell oil i think it was when he left oh a person who had worked with ge and had a whole different plan than i just described to you came in and went back to an extract value paradigm get everything we can and everything we built fell apart but it didn't fall apart in the minds of all the managers and leaders they went out and built tons of entrepreneurial operations 
they became profit and loss leaders in other companies. And so we knew we were seeding and spreading the ability to think in this systemic way. And so I don't worry a lot about the top turning over because I, I get emails every day, letters, phone calls from people who are taking this work and seeding it everywhere, including in India. Right. Right. Max, tell me one thing. If essence of business is the is a very important factor for any business, uh, then uh, for a person who is there as a CEO, his job is to make profit for his stakeholders. Okay. Am I right? Well, no, I, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, I, because I, I mean, I I, I, yes, but it's not, it's not the only thing. It's one. So my first book talked about you have to start with making a better life for your customers, consumers. You have okay. to do that in a way that your co-creators, the employees, uh, contractors, suppliers, get to be a part of that and have their own return and their own contribution. You okay. have to then make sure you do it right with earth, with community investors. And you but, have but to suppose, do that in a system. Yes, yes, I get it. That's why I asked your, your interpretation of my question. Suppose it's a mining company. Now, a lot of mining companies world over are having issues with local communities, with governments. Now, they try to do something. The, the, the extraction that they do is for a lot of people which, which that may be good for also in terms of profit or in terms of creating uh, products out of use of that material. Now, what do they focus on? Do they focus on the problems of the local community? Because why I ask is that of late, a lot of this word called corporate social responsibility is coming out. Everywhere from governments, also there is a certain requirement that corporations do this part for think of the greater good, as well as you know, even society wants them to go for the greater good and they take care, but sometimes it runs uh, opposite to what the society thinks of you know, how I no. why is it mismatch for happening then? You've got it all broken up in pieces again. Uh, oh. And I don't even know what the greater good means. That's an abstraction. I've never talked to people about the greater good because they can't oh. touch it, feel it. So let me give you a mining example because I don't believe in hypotheticals. Titanium dioxide is made out of titanium, which is an iron ore rocks. They're in mountains. And... Uh, the mining co companies and DuPont, who was uh, subcontracting with them, were taking down about 90% of a mountain when they went after the titanium. And they were wrecking the creeks and the rivers and therefore the health of the people who were in the communities in uh, Western Australia. And we started with an education process. I none of us ever said do less harm. We didn't okay. say what are the problems. We didn't say how do we fix anything. I said, what's the essence of mining? What's the essence of titanium? What's the essence of making titanium dioxide? So I don't start with the negative, the problems and stuff. 
I start with what's the, because everyone uses titanium dioxide. It's in your clothes. It's in women's makeup. It's in our food. It's in paint. Uh, it's everything that makes things uh, uh, opaque so we can barely see through it and we can cover things. So we could say, well, let's stop making or mining titanium dioxide. And of course, we have nothing to replace it. People have tried for years. So if you ask, what's the essence of titanium dioxide? You can start to, well, the, we, so we knew it was opacity. But now we said, how do you, what is it that causes it to be so destructive? And we said, because we have all of our manufacturing processes, our mining processes, uh, have to take so much rock in order to get a small amount of the high-grade ore. What if we could innovate, knowing what the uh, essence of the process is, what if we could use low-grade ore and we could take whatever the first 10% is and we could get 100 times as much as when we take down half the mountain? So we set out on to understand the essence of manufacturing uh, titanium dioxide and invented a, a whole new and they got patents that held up for years. It gave them money. It gave the uh, <clears throat> investors return. It gave uh, all the people who had jobs huge in increases in salary. It stopped all of the stuff that was happening in the rivers and the mess that was being made. They went after and stopped deep well injection because they didn't need it anymore. So we did an innovation based on understanding essence that had the effect of being able to go out to the heart of it, which is needing high-grade ore versus low-grade ore. If you can use low-grade ore, you don't need much of it. If you have to have high-grade ore, you have to take down the whole big mountain in order for it to work. So they reduced by 90% what it took to get the titanium out but they didn't set out to do sustainability. I said, what's the essence of this process? Now, why are we not working from essence? We had every stakeholder happy. Everyone was feeling like it won for them, the, the contractors, the employees, the people who were in the community. And there was we did a lot of work with the community, building capability, educating people. So even mining, you can ask what's the essence and you can you can wipe out all the issues you listed up front, but you can create a return not in conflict with, but absolutely in line with for the investors. Does that story help yes. at all? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, my further question is, what happens when the essence of a business and the essence of society clash? They don't. There are no clashes with essence. Essence is what someone is. And society doesn't have an essence. Well, maybe it does. A society, essence is specific to a person, to a place, to a, a biota, to a material. And so there's, it's just what it is at its heart. There's, you're talking about when their values clash. Essence can't clash. There are no bad essences. Essence is what makes something alive. So 
certain kind of birds have a certain kind of essence. You have a certain kind of essence. I do. My essence is disrupt certainty. So when people are sure they've got an answer, I'm going to be on top of them questioning, pushing back. And it's in me and has been since I was four years old and got in trouble because I constantly got people to question. And when they didn't like it, they put me in a closet to shut me up. But still, every there is no clash between essences. There's only clash between egos. And part of what my work is about is building the ability of each of us to manage our ego and quit judging other people. I don't judge DuPont. I don't judge Amazon. I don't judge Google. I educate them about how to think in a way that's more whole, is systemic, it uh, builds from the essence of everything alive. When you do that, it works for everyone. There's no conflict. And that's why people love my work. They're no longer at war. So do you have a sense of leadership? No, a person has a sense. Leadership's a, an idea. All the abstractions yes, I don't but, talk but about. But, but a person who leads the country, he is an individual, isn't it? He has he has to have some essence. Every human being has their yes. own essence, yes. but it has so, nothing to do with how they lead. Okay. So let me ask you one question about this, this one. Say in Brazil... Uh, a lot of this Amazon forests are now, you know, getting wiped out every year because they say the local government is is giving, uh, going for construction activities and, and, you know, it is just removing the green cover. And internationally, there has been so much of, you know, hue and cry. There has been write up and all, but they say they need it for their growth. Like it is happening in terms of climate change discussions that, you know, smart, uh, Smaller countries or developing nations, they say we need to uh, do what, what others have already done. So why is it that people don't understand the leadership's job is to create jobs, create the good of its people, or an individual personality may see it that way. Then why is it that others see it very differently and they not understand that it's the essence of that individual or that sort of leadership? What? No, you, I well, find a little ground somewhere. So you, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think of the world that way. I don't judge. This is wrong. This person needs to do that. I'm an educator. And what okay. I do changes things. It, what you do makes people mad at each other. Because they 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 say, you guy, you're bad. You're wrong. Him. I'm, all, all of it's happening because we don't know how to educate ourselves about how things work. So if I had an opportunity to work in Brazil, and I've done a little of that, but not, I don't ever accept an issue or subject to work on. Never. Because okay. the minute you do that, you're at war, you're at conflict, and you will escalate the conflict. You will escalate until you're at war. You will escalate until all the people who are going to suffer can see what you're doing is telling them they're wrong. If you don't back up and start from a place and say, What's the essence of Brazil? And what's okay. the essence of the Amazon forest? And you educate people about how to work on it in a way that builds something better. There's whole different ways to build economies. You don't have expansion. Okay. No one's ever educated them about how to do evolutionary uh, growth. They only know about expansion growth. 
And everybody who's mad at him, like, the, I can feel your energy. You were so mad. And all <laughs> that energy is about expansion growth. It's about how bad expansion growth is. But evolution growth bypasses and doesn't gain money from those old ways. It does what I said about the titanium dioxide on the mountain. It says, what's the essence of the Amazon forest? And what's the essence of foresting? And we would find a solution, a way of working that was exactly like we did with the mountain. We would say, how do you grow a country without being extra extractive? How do you grow a country so that it has products and offerings that are supplanting the ones they're using now? So the forestry is not needed. And there are tons of ways that Brazil could be growing the country and having nothing to do with forests. But because we go to war with them, we say, stop doing the forest, you bad people. No one ever has the conversation about how do you grow a country without a forest? We don't go help them grow the country. We stop the only way they know how. And of course, that only makes people mad and it doesn't build the titanium dioxide solution like I gave you where you're able to go from 90% of a mountain to 10%, you're able to grow your revenues 35 to 65%. So when people give me the kind of story you does, I'm so sad you think of the world that way. You can't get anything to work from the question you ask. Right, right. So you, you are a positive contrarian. Why do you call yourself a positive contrarian? My grandfather called me that when I was about six years old. And uh, the reason he did is he said, you can see the world differently than other people. And he's part Mohawk, Native Indigenous American. Uh, and so he grew up uh, in a, well, he grew the first 10 years of his life on a Native American reservation in Oklahoma. And his father took him out. So my grandfather raised me to see how life works, to see how pigs work if you're going to raise pigs, to see how uh, food is grown. Not necessarily. He he was an advisor to uh, agricultural, uh, um, well, to farmers through something the government had. And it, he taught me to see the world differently. And I, you can see almost every question you tell, you ask me, I say, that's not the right question. Yes, and yes, because, absolutely. That's, that's why I could see a lot of positivity in, uh, yeah. in, in your answers. And that's why I came to this question, like, how, why do you think right. yourself a positive contrarian, you know? I love that my grandfather called me that because what it points out is that I'm not a devil's advocate. And I'm not someone who doesn't believe or want to talk to you or think you're dumb. No, I love that we're having this conversation <laughs> because it gives me... Right. It gives me an opportunity to reframe how you think about your questions and everyone who's listening to us gets to do that. So that's the positive. I know how to change it. I know how to make a world that works, but I don't do it by just answering your questions because they're too hypothetical. Right. You can't get there from your questions. So that's why I'm the positive contrarian. Right, right. And does does it help in business? How does it help you in your in your advice or you when you talk to business leaders? How do they gain out of it? Do they gain out of it at all? 
Well, I'd say 35 to 65% improvement in revenue per year would make almost any business leader happy, wouldn't you? But it's more than that. They also, because I work with them three to eight years, I don't make speeches. I do write books. That's a closer speech. But yes, I yes. educate the uh, whole uh, organization. Like I went to South Africa just as Mandela was coming out for Robben Island, got elected and coming in to be the president of uh, South Africa. We had eight tribes who were at war with each other, plus the white Afrikaners and the English who were colonists and descendants. And we were, uh, uh, the constitution said, you have to look at the makeup of your corporation and the top of it, the top, uh, whatever you call it, your C-suite, your executives, executives has to reflect the ethnic and racial population of the country. Now, Colgate, who I was working with, had uh, 97% white Africans leading the country or company. The population was 97% black. So we were told we had to, so here's one thing they got. They got um, the understanding and we in six months made that switch because we educated everyone in the organization on how to think through earnings, margin and cash flow. Can you think of any CEO that wouldn't want every employee he had, even in the detergent tower or the deodorant line, not understand you you would want all of them to understand earnings margins and cash flow and how every decision they were making was affecting that that's how you grow uh 35 to 65 percent so that's one of the biggest things they get is they have everybody understanding how money works secondly we build a whole different work system we collapse uh much of the hierarchical stuff but we don't lay anybody off and we don't even say we're flattening the hierarchy but everyone feels responsible for the customers the consumers the investors uh that's in every role there not just the top not just the marketing for marketing and sales for sales no everyone understands and we, we have to rebuild the way the company works when we're, I should, I was about to say done. You're never quite done. You have everyone who thinks like a CEO and everyone who's producing for the investor and the customer and the community and earth. And the CEO's job gets easy. In many ways, it's unbelievably easy. Plus, almost every CEO I've met wants an earth that works. They don't want to be destructive. But they, they get between a rock and a hard place about how we try and do it. And when we educate them on how to have all that happen with one path, they have a life that is low stress. You, If you look at my books, the, the forwards are all written by uh, CEOs or executives of DuPont, Google, uh, Capital Institute, you know, pr- prominent institutions. And when they're in there, they say, this changed my life. It changed my life. It changed my company. It changed everyone who worked for us. It changed the communities we live in. It's it's the way life should work. So, yes, they gained enormously, and they get a lot of peace of mind and a sense of well-being, as well as 
I teach people to make lots of money too. You you say you are a social change designer. Now, what sort of a social change do you bring when you uh, after you advise these uh, top corporates? I mean, how how okay. does it work? So I don't advise. I never give any advice. I educate. I educate people on how right. to think, and they come up with the answer to that. So what I what you're referring to, I think, is I'm a senior fellow of social innovation at a university. So I I don't normally use the social, but here's here's an answer to your question. If you educate everyone in your company to have two kinds of one is critical thinking skills. So think like I'm saying, think in system terms, think about the essence of everything. And you educate them to manage their ego and to be able to manage their state of being and their anger and all the things that get in our way. What you have is a whole different society because they go home. And we have tracked and found that violence in, in homes drops to almost zero with this work because the stress goes away, the contribution goes away. Secondly, people learn to think for themselves. So instead of when they go to the polls, calling up some person they think they want to be, um, I guess you'd say approved of, and they vote like they told them because they won't go do the thinking for themselves. A democracy will not work long that way. And if what you're doing is, here's the third and maybe most important thing. If you change all the work systems, so racism is impossible. Like no, no hierarchical climbing, no competition for money. I don't, I get rid of everything people can compete on and everything someone else decides. So if you come to the States, you would face tons of racism just because of the color of your skin. But if you went in one of my companies, you wouldn't because you'd be deciding what your own path is and you'd be figuring out what you want to uh, contribute. And a group would be working with you to figure out what you were about and how to grow you. And then you would set out a plan about how it was going to increase your salary, whether it's going to be a percentage of your earnings. And every individual in, in Colgate, South Africa, 3,000 employees were deciding what they wanted to contribute. And it was all approved and all funded. And that changes an institution because if I'm in charge of my own choices in the context of a strategy and I have support to go make a difference with my life through our customers. Uh, and no one can stop that. No one is outside evaluating me. We've just gotten rid of the biggest undermining thing there is, but which is we want, we have isms, we have racism, uh, we have genderism, we have social orientationism, we have religious uh, conflict. If you redesign work so no one is deciding for someone else, and no one's picking and choosing. I want to live in a country like that. How about you? Yes, yes. Uh, but right now, I am happy where I am. But well, yes, uh, yes, uh, yes. Me but, too. I'm not unhappy with where I am, but yes, I also but, want to grow it. But you see, we we stop. We keep on building ideas in our minds, and we want to be where the wherever those ideas fit in. So I do understand uh, understand your point of view. Ma'am, why do you think this change theory 
uh, all all these practices are based on false error field and unproven proven premise premises and what's the correct way to go, go forward there all right so i do say that uh, with my new book that'll that's out in 10 days indirect work i say that most change processes we have are based on errors false premises and yes. un unresearch I mean, we don't know that an example of that is there was a man uh that is probably the most there are two men who are the most significant impactors of your question why we have the problems in society one was frederick taylor scientific management who first said all humans are machines they're cogs in a wheel and we've got to set up the industrial revolution like they're interchangeable parts then the second person was john watson who is the founder of behaviorism the idea that we need incentives rewards who we are shaped only by our outside we can't think for ourselves we can't see ourselves and both of those are designed into all of our institutions including families so we see people as parts even our children we see their problems and their pieces everyone who works for us if someone gets sick or injured fine we put in a new piece and then if we really want to get people moving we give them incentives rewards punishments all of those are and have never been proven to be true and john watson the behaviors guy my number book number seven which will be out next year uh is about how the whole idea of incentives rewards was based on john watson wanting to get rich and he says this over and over and he had to get people not to trust themselves to only trust scientists and people at the top in order to be able to take over and control society that's what his ambition was so if you want to get mad at someone get really mad at john b watson because okay. he was he he created consumerism he created incentives and rewards and he created um uh and he also well there's so many i'll i'll get off on the tirade if i'm not careful but the reason we have so much false information untested is we were taught and still are in schools not to trust ourselves to trust our parents to tell us what's right to trust our teachers to grade us to trust our bosses to incentivize and manipulate us and then trust our friends for how to vote uh trust uh some demigod for how we should run our country we have institutionalized lack of understanding of how to assess and determine if something works and we have put so much faith in science and in some places it's good but not unexamined we need to ask how people got to their ideas where their paradigm is where they're coming from and that's what i teach people to do to question to assess to make sense not to deny don't start with the denying but that's what we have to do we have to change all those institutions uh so that people can learn to trust their own lived experience okay but how do they do that today there is social media there are leaderships who don't want people to question them and that number is growing across uh you know in, so in you the go world. back well all right so you ask impossible questions aj because you act like you go out there it's a big thing and change it you change it one child at a time if you came to study in my institute and i got people out of india who do 
and Singapore and Japan. And uh, what you learn is how you to do it for yourself. You, I don't believe, do quite enough questioning of the sources you're feeding me. They're bullshit, right? They're, they're not based on anything except somebody's hypothetical question. So you have to, we have to work on the edge. And we don't need to do it with every human being. We need three to 5% of people in schools, in families, and uh, businesses. So when I go into a business, I don't try and fix any of the problems you're talking about. I don't even mention them. I don't want to hear about them. I go in and educate people how to examine, how to do what Socrates said. If you don't examine your life, you're going to end up with a pile of useless stuff, including yourself. So you educate people, and I do it inside corporations. And I do it in a way that it makes money for them. So the minute it makes money, I can build better human beings and no one's worried because I'm helping them make money. But I teach them how to make money in a way that creates product substitution and gets rid of the problem you're talking about instead of trying to stop people who are doing it. I don't do that. I educate the mind that they change it. I've never said to somebody, how would you be more sustainable? Or I, I do say responsible, but it means something different. So you do education, one okay. being at a time. Okay, one being at a time. So where, what exactly is Mambia regeneration design parad uh, paradigm? Where does it fit in? What so the four, I talked about four paradigms. The base one is extract value. The next one is arrest disorder. And the third one is do good. All of those are external ideas. And somebody decides for everybody else. Regenerative is the process of not trying to do things, but evolve capacity. Regeneration literally means to return people to themselves as a source. And so you work on system actualization. Rege regeneration comes off of uh, three things in my world. One is indigenous wisdom, which exists in all over the world. I had a particular version here from my grandfather and my grandmother. Also, she was less active. The third is lineage teachers, of which you have many versions in India from. The reason I know Pontichary is because I know Sri Aurobindo and the mother who have a an ashram there and right yes. and that being there if you go sit and listen uh you don't even, they don't have beliefs you have to adopt it's not a church but they'll tell you with the same things i'm telling you and i so i take indigenous wisdom i take lineage teachers and i take quantum physics the new which we've known for a hundred years uh that the way we're working on things don't work and einstein said to us if you want to have a better idea than the mess you've gotten us in, you have to have a whole different way of figuring it out. If you keep using that fragmented mind, that problem-solving mind, you won't get there. So my newest book, if you'll let me say a word here, is yes, yes. about what the pathway is to take the wisdom of all three of those traditions, all of which overlap also with living systems, how they work, you can rebuild in a very quick period of time. When I was in South Africa, Mandela gave Colgate and I got to be there an award. And he said, I never thought that people would do, could do so quickly 
what we said when we wrote that in the Constitution about you have five years to have the top match the ethnic population. We did it in six months. And we had growth of about 37% in revenue every quarter, four times a year. And we had things changing in the township so that problems were being solved that had been lived with for, well, certainly generations, but probably um, hundreds of years. So you, you have to let go of the old way and the regenerative way. The regenerative paradigm is a way of thinking that things like those indigenous lineage quantum teachers so we don't use the old way to try and create the new. Okay, got it, got it, ma'am. Uh, in terms of your books, ma'am, you have talked about a lot of books. What your your one of the book is quite exciting. It sounds your destiny. No more feedback. What does it entail? Uh -huh. What does the book entail? Yeah. So no, no more feedback is one of uh, in my third book, the regenerative business, not the responsible business. Um, I talk about 30 toxic practices that are toxic to society, to families, to businesses. One of them is feedback. And it's one of the ones John Watson uh, set the stage for. So I get to tell you what I think if I'm your boss. And I get to tell you what to do. And I constantly am in charge of making sure you and a bunch of other people get feedback. And it's so destructive because it, again, teaches me not to trust my own lived experience. It doesn't teach me to think better. It teaches me to follow the list of generic competencies or uh, guidelines from my boss. So that book was uh, No More Feedback, took one of those practices and blew up a, a whole book out of it. And next year, my other one will be one more of those 30. I'll probably die before I get to all 30. Um but uh, those are that and my current book, the one that will be out very shortly, uh, two weeks, uh, the, is indirect work because the answer to every question you've asked me tonight, every one of them, is stop trying to do direct work and switch to doing indirect work. Direct work is when you go and try and stop the people cutting down the trees. When you go try and change all the laws and you try and lay your body down in front of trucks. If you will build capability in people to think better, they, they don't choose to do that. And it's if people switch, you wouldn't believe how fast when they're allowed to choose. You change cultures and infrastructure. And third, you build the capacity for consciousness. So the new book is a new theory of change based on stopping trying to do the old Newtonian uh, version of stopping things like with a cue stick in a pocket and instead work indirectly. And I give, you know, another 30 case stories about how we've done that around the world and how people who don't know me do it and build those kind of capabilities. Things change from the capability, not the direct action. Okay. No direct action. Then well, what, uh, yeah. Why, the more why, important why, thing why, is to do indirect. It's more important not to stop, but add indirect capability building. Okay, what were you saying? Yeah, we, then we should tell Greenpeace not to disturb uh, what you call all those work going on. They suddenly go into the that, ocean, the seas. Uh, so or, that's, are they, that's, 
that's direct work. How 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 successful would you say we've been on getting into that to stop? Has Greenpeace stopped anything? Has anyone who has been trying to use machine guns or tanks stopped the invasion of Ukraine? If you do direct conflict, you escalate the conflict. So okay. I'm, I, I don't even pay attention to that. I don't say stop doing that. I say start by positive okay. contrarian, right? Start doing indirect work where you're building capability and to think better and to be self-managing of your own anger and confusion okay. and stuff. Okay. So the big part is to avoid conflict and do uh, indirect work so that you achieve what you aim to achieve. No, <laughs> no. All right. This is, if you're aiming, you're now in charge. What you do is build capability so others get to do what they want. So a forest can do its work. So a life shed that we have to stop thinking we're in charge. That's do good. We fix something. We have to instill build the capability of every child to be what it wants to be and support it with the capability of every employee, of every company, of every forest. Uh, all it's in charge of its own destiny. And our job is to support that. So we don't talk about stopping. We're, we're, we're a part of the problem if we're trying to make people do what we think. Absolutely. That's the, the core same, message. Right. Yeah, the same with feedback. But ma'am, in terms of feedback, you said uh, it has come out as one of the industry best practices. Everybody says, man, you got to get feedback, this feedback, so, that feedback. So what should an employee do? Does he tell his boss that I don't need your feedback? Yeah, exactly. No, more what they do is change jobs. He gets fired. He gets fired. I, I, I did research on feedback. It doesn't change anything. And it stops people being able to see themselves. What you do is build, you build a capability of people to see themselves. Every company I work with, we'd, we stop feedback 100%. And then we build capacity of everyone to see themselves, be self-directed. See, the reason we can't solve the climate change problem is that people can't see their own effect of their choices. And if we don't start with people seeing their own effect, uh, we're not going to get there. And we won't until people have that practice. And if we constantly are raising our children with us telling them, all of this external stuff has to go away. So... There's no zero. I dare people to show me the research because I have my own that said feedback doesn't work. It doesn't work, but it makes money. The ones who are doing that are consultants who make money off of teaching people to do feedback and bosses who get sold by people like John Watson telling them this will put you in control of your people. You'll be in charge. No, none of that works. It's all false premises. And it makes the world worse every day. Right. You are right, probably. And the maximum feedback an employee gets is during appraisal when he does not, when they don't want to give him enough uh, of a good percentage of money. You know? I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> okay, ma'am. Okay. It, it's been nice talking to you. You know, uh, there are so many factors. You are a TEDx speaker. So much of, you know, knowledge you have got. Uh, but in terms of books, I'll certainly uh, try and read as many of them as possible, especially the new coming book that it is. 
uh, which will come. And there are tons, there are tons of bonuses on carolsanford.com that if people buy from one to 125 bucks, there's an increasing gradient of more things you can get for free, including someone talking with me directly. So go look at carolsanford.com at my books. Perfectly all right, ma'am. Perfectly all, all right. right. It's been a great session talking to you. And Thank on you. this note, on this note, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you very much, ma'am. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you.